You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday, February 1st, 2022. I'm Coda Babcock. And I'm Ellie Shannon. And you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, I go over updates in campus news and explain how Poudre School District plans to prioritize mental health and well-being for students and staff. I go over updates in COVID-19 statistics and policies, and we hear from comedian and author Lane Moore about Tinder Live and her upcoming Valentine's Day show in Fort Collins. After that, Coda explains how the National Archives released documents to a congressional committee, which were taped together after its belief that former President Donald Trump tore them. Then we hear from Anton Schindler about a recent decision regarding the MLB Hall of Fame induction. After that, Eliza Droder gives an overview on CSU Athletics. To conclude today's show, Coda explains some updates on technology with information on Spotify's new content warning for COVID-19. Let's move right into campus and local news. Now on to our campus and local news updates for Tuesday, February 1st. The Associated Students of Colorado State University met for their first session of the spring semester on January 26. According to Piper Russell of the Collegian, ASCSU began holding elections for Speaker Pro Tempore. The candidates include Brandon Baum, Senator for the College of Business, Elijah Sandoval, Senator for the First Generation Student Collective Board, Noah Burge, Senator for the College of Business, and engineering student Graham Avers. Senator Ritik Correa also made a motion to suspend Senator Lizzie Osterhout's speaking rights due to a concern of ad hominem comments. A short debate ensued, and Correa rescinded the motion, with ASCSU adjourning shortly afterwards. CSU's El Centro office has hired a new student success coordinator. The El Centro office provides cultural, social, and academic support for the Latinx community at CSU and in Fort Collins. According to Piper Russell of the Collegian, Jose Hernandez Alvarado is now the new student success coordinator as of January 3rd. Alvarado is finishing his Master of Science in Student Affairs in higher education at CSU. Alvarado has also worked as a graduate assistant for Ramride, worked with off-campus life, and has prior experience working with students in other capacities. For more information on El Centro, visit elcentro.colostate.edu. The CSU men's basketball team lost against the University of Nevada last week on January 28th. Monday night, the Rams took on Wyoming and lost again for an overall record of 16 wins and three losses. For more sports updates, make sure to listen to Eliza Droder later in the episode. Now on to local news. Fort Collins is expected to receive its largest snowstorm yet this year on Tuesday night. Make sure to tune in to our weather report later in the show. Larimer County will lift its mask mandate on February 12th. The announcement comes after hospitalization and case rates have been declining. Stay tuned to listen to Coda Babcock's updates on COVID-19 later in the episode. Poudre School District has outlined their plan to prioritize mental health and well-being for students and staff, according to Molly Bohannon of the Coloradoan. Ruben Chacon is the Director of Student Services, and he said to Bohannon, quote, Given the disruptions and feelings of safety over the past two years, our students are feeling a greater need for support and we must respond, end quote. Over 200 suicide risk assessments were conducted in the fall semester, compared to under 170 in the entirety of the last school year. Moving forward, the district has a team that will be evaluating the budget 
and programs they currently have in place for mental health and see where money can be reallocated. Much work will be done in the next 12 months, Chacon said. To learn more about Pooter School District's plan, visit coloradoan.com. Thanks for listening to my campus and local news updates. Make sure to always tune in to the Rocky Mountain Review Tuesdays and Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m. This is Ellie Shannon for KCSU on 90.5 FM. Are you a CSU student interested in video production, high-tech video cameras, or editing? If so, the OnSpec training team is where you can learn all of this and more. We teach you how to set up interviews, use your camera and microphones, and edit your final videos. Then you can even get paid for creating videos for CSU's TV channel, CTV11. You can find out more by visiting the Rocky Mountain Student Media website and clicking on the OnSpec training team page. And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. If you missed campus or local news with Ellie Shannon, be sure to check out our recorded episode by going to Spotify and searching KCSU News or by visiting the KCSU app. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to COVID-19 Updates for Tuesday. Colorado State University reports over 6,800 cases of COVID-19 among students, staff, and faculty. The university saw over 30 new cases over the weekend. Students and employees are expected to be vaccinated and those with exemptions must do a saliva screening for COVID-19 twice a week. Larimer County reports a high-risk score for COVID-19, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention rates the county as having high levels of community transmission. Over 70,000 COVID-19 cases and over 440 deaths were reported in the county, with the case rate sitting at over 930 per 100,000 residents, a considerable decline from last week. 105 COVID-19 patients received treatment in area hospitals, which are at full capacity compared to usual levels of care. In the past seven days, about one in five COVID-19 tests came back positive. Larimer County still has an active mask mandate at the moment. Due to intensive care units no longer having adequate space to handle a surge, the following precautions are recommended. Get vaccinated and boosted against COVID-19 if you have not already. Wear masks indoors when people from outside your household are present. Masks should fit snug, and KN95 disposable masks are especially recommended. Monitor yourself for COVID-19 symptoms, and stay home even if your symptoms are mild. Get tested immediately if you notice any symptoms of COVID-19. If you test positive, seek treatment and isolate. Postpone all indoor gatherings, and in the case that it cannot be postponed, require that all attendees be vaccinated. Consider limiting the number of invited households present, and move activities outside if possible. Employers are encouraged to promote remote work options for employees when possible, and the county also reminds residents to continue practicing social distancing. 
The state of Colorado reports over 1.2 million cases of COVID-19, along with over 11,000 deaths. Over 10 million vaccine doses were administered in the state, and nearly 4 million Coloradans are fully immunized against the virus that causes COVID-19. Nationally, the CDC reports over 74.2 million COVID-19 cases and over 881,000 deaths. Over 80% of the population over the age of 5 is at least partially vaccinated against COVID-19, and community transmission is high nationwide. Pfizer is expected to request emergency use authorization for the use of their vaccine in children under the age of 5, with the vaccine available to these children as soon as March. Additionally, the Moderna vaccine received full authorization from the Food and Drug Administration as opposed to the emergency use authorization it previously held. I'm Koda Babcock, and that's all for Tuesday's COVID-19 updates. Information from this segment comes from Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the New York Times, the Centers for Disease Control, and CNN. If you are a student, staff member, or faculty member at CSU, visit covid.colostate.edu to submit vaccine results, schedule saliva screenings, and get the most recent information on COVID-19 at the university. I'm Coda Babcock here at KCSU, and today we're joined by Lane Moore, a comedian and the founder of the Tinder Live comedy show, as well as the author of How to Be Alone. Would you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself before we get into it today? Yeah, uh, I created a comedy show called Tinder Live uh, that really uh, takes something that, you know, for so many of us, like dating apps and stuff is so stressful and exhausting and lonely and bizarre and turns that into comedy, which is great. And then I wrote a book called How to Be Alone that's about, you know, not really having the friends or family or perfect relationship that everybody is told that we all have. And so many of us don't. Kind of shifting gears right into that first part of your statement, how do you think that Tinder Live really makes light of the often difficult and stressful experiences of online dating and connects people in a way that other comedy might not? Um, when I first started using dating apps, like the first thing that stood out to me was that so many straight men's profiles are chaos. They are just so wild. I don't know what's happening. Um, but like 90% of them are just like a guy who's like naked with a dead animal. And you're like, what is this supposed to send me? The only message it's sending me is like, call my therapist yet again. So, um, I wanted to make a show that would, you know, show the profiles, live on like a projector screen and we would swipe through them together and swipe right or left. Um, the audience chooses whether I swipe right or left. So it's like really this interactive, totally improvised. We don't know what's going to happen. So it's really taking what so many of us do with our friends at home where you're just like, Oh my gosh, let's swipe through and just like, look at these people. And does it, you know, with the audience, with a comedian who's making these jokes and, you know, I, I really make sure that it is a kinder show than you're expecting because it's not interesting to me to like, I don't know, say needless things about like somebody's appearance or something like that. That's not really what the show does. Um, but you know, finding those profiles that are just so insane that you would never, ever swipe right on them. Those are the only ones we swipe on on Tinder live, uh, or people who just seem like they'd be really fun to talk to like a guy in a really excessive fur coat who's like covered in paint splatters and like he seems fun. Um, so, you know, I think there's so many ways that Tinder life helps people feel more connected. You know, there's so many of us who are dating and 
just feeling like we're not finding what we want on the apps or feeling like we're the only ones who are having really, really bad experiences trying to find somebody. And the truth is we're not alone in that. And I, I know that when people come to the show, they're like, Oh, I'm not the only one who's like getting really weird messages, seeing really weird profiles, having a really hard time getting what I want out of, you know, these, these apps and things like that. And so I know people feel less alone that way for sure. And it's really powerful. Um, I think across like all walks of life, you know, even like I'm a queer comedian and it's like, we only focus on like cis straight men because they are the ones doing the most and the least on dating apps. So I'm very protective of that, but it is, you know, also, I think cool to note that it like also is through an inherently queer lens. So like I have so many people in my audience who are queer and they're like, I still like really love this and relate to this because it's really, it really is this like snapshot of how awful it is. I think for so many of us, regardless if, if these are the profiles you're seeing, like you get it, there's, there's something going on here. Definitely. And what really in all of that horrible experience of going on Tinder and just seeing these bizarre profiles made you realize that there was an opportunity to make other people laugh with these terrible, terrible experiences. Yeah. I mean, I just immediately realized, I was like, oh, this would be so perfect for a comedy show because I was swiping through with my roommates and I was like, oh my gosh, just like looking at the bizarre profiles that, uh, one of my roommates was getting, and then another one was getting just across like genders, sexualities, just everything. Like we were just seeing, you know, of course there's some people in there who are like nice and normal, but just ones where it's like, this guy's like yelling at you in his profile or like there's one photo and it's just of like a Ford truck. So I just was like, it'd be so great to take the like loneliness out of this and just be like, let's have like a communal experience where we can just laugh at this and, you know, talk to these, these weird, these people who actually made this profile where like their only photo is a meme or whatever. Like, let's talk to whoever made this bizarre profile and, you know, try to make something good out of it. Yeah. And then how do you think kind of the audience getting to decide on who you swipe on is an engaging experience, not only for them, but also kind of an experience that brings you closer to your audience? You know, it's really beautiful what happens at a Tinder live show that's like unlike almost anything else I've ever seen where it's so interactive. Like I'm interacting with the weird profiles. I'm also interacting with the audience. Like it's just on all these levels. And it's interesting because if someone hasn't been to a Tinder live show before, like I don't think they're prepared for like the really cool energy that is created. But like, as soon as we start swiping, people get really engaged and they're like, swipe left, swipe right. Yes. Yes. And when we, when I match with somebody, the audience like roars, like, it's like, yes, it's like, it's this really like, because it's all happening in real time. Like that's something that you can't get from any other comedy show really, where it's just like this totally improvised, like, if we match, there's no way for that to be canned. We're matching in real time. If somebody's typing, they're typing in real time. Like, so it ends up becoming this like really unique experience. And especially because all of my shows are localized. So like when I'm in Colorado, we're just swiping through the area that I'm in. So there's also the added element of like, sometimes people in the audience come up on screen and then we get to talk to them about that. Or, 
sometimes there's people in the audience and they're like, oh my gosh, I've dated that person or I know that person or that's my roommate and best friend. Like, it's just this, it becomes this, like also this celebration of like, you know, where people live and like that they know all these people, you know? Definitely. And then like, as you said, kind of the nature of swiping on Tinder is really, really improvisational. So you don't have a ton of control over it. But how do you think that this really, in addition to the the audience potentially knowing those people, how do you think that that type of comedy really brings them in and makes them feel like this is their space um, in a way that sketch comedy might not? Yeah, I mean... I think it's, it's really interesting when I go on tour to just have like the audience, especially if they've used dating apps before, they're like, oh my gosh, that's one of those profiles. We see that all the time here. There's like little in jokes really that like the audience has where they're like, oh, he work he goes to that school. Don't, I don't trust him. Or like, oh, he works at that job. Mm, that's a bad, that's a red flag. Like there's all these things that like I couldn't possibly know, but the audience knows and there just tend to be those like regional specificities that are really, that are really interesting. But also the fact that like every single Tinder live show can't be replicated. Like it's only happening that one night. So everybody in that room is going to have inside jokes that like nobody else will get. And it's, it's always a really special thing to like, you know, check my Instagram later. And it's like a bunch of people being like, I still want you to get together with Rob. Like, no one else will know what that means, but we'll know that like, you know, it was a guy who I pretended that we'd already been married and he was like my long lost husband who'd abandoned me and our child. And we talked like that for like 45 minutes. It's like, it's just, it really is like anything can happen. And, and we're all the only witnesses, you know? Definitely. And with Fort Collins being a college town, the dating scene here is definitely more interesting than it might be in other places. So what are you looking forward to in swiping here? Yeah, you know, I I noticed um last time I went to Fort Collins um I noticed like it's very active. It's very like there's a lot of profiles of men just being like I own every type of sporting equipment. I am never seated. I I'm constantly skiing. I'm constantly like it's it's just really like just seeing those through lands, because they're like that in, in, in every city, really. But I've noticed that with Fort Collins, that seemed to be a really big one. And I think also a lot of weed. I'm trying to think if that was what I saw last time. I feel like it was like marijuana and extreme sports. And I was like, yay to one. I'm exhausted by the other. <laughs> All right. And then your upcoming show is on Valentine's weekend. So are you expecting any especially hilarious circumstances as people in town try to snag a date before the weekend ends? Yes. So I really love doing Valentine's Day shows more than anything else because exactly there's that like heightened horniness of just like people being like, oh, I'm really like dating's on their mind. They're like extra interactive. And, you know, it's, it's, it's never that hard really to reach these like people with the weirdest profiles who probably don't get swiped on very much because there's such weird profiles. But it does have this added element of yeah, you can just feel, you can just feel it on there where it's like, oh, Valentine's Day is coming up, whatever that means to them, what, whether they're looking for a girlfriend or whatever, like there's, it's just, everything is just heightened. It's, it's like, I don't know, it feels like more suspenseful somehow, which is really exciting. All right. And then for our listeners who might've never been to a Tinder live and want to come, what should they expect? Yeah. Um, I very often hear people say at like, 
when they come to a Tinder live show that they laughed more than they have in like a year because there's a joke like every second, like it's just, it's just constant. And so I've, I've heard people say that they laugh the entire time. And I've also heard people say a lot that it made them feel so much better about themselves and dating because it's a show that doesn't take itself too seriously and is really kind. And I just, yeah, I, I hear from people all the time who are like, you know, like that made me laugh and also made me feel like, oh, this isn't like, this doesn't have to be this weighted thing that online dating and dating in general can feel like this really heavy thing. And one of the beautiful things that Tinder Live does is take the sting out of that and just be like, you know, we're all trying to find some kind of connection. Most of us are having a really hard time. Let's at least find some laughter and some levity in that. All right. And then is there anything else you'd add, like to add today about the show or about any of your other work? Um, yeah, I also have a, a book that I wrote that I mentioned, I know earlier, uh, called how to be alone. And my next book is coming out next year called you will find your people. That is all about friendships and trying to actually have good friendships. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Thank you so much. Comedian and author Lane Moore will be performing live at the Comedy Four on February 10th for her Valentine's version of Tinder Live. You can find her on social media, Hello Lane Moore, and that is her username for TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Now we're going to be taking a quick break, but stay tuned for national news in about a minute. Support for KCSU comes from Munchies Supermarket. Munchies is located near the Campus West shopping area on West Elizabeth Street. Open 7 a.m. to 12 a.m. seven days a week. Munchies offers snacks, food, personal care items, smoking accessories, and more. And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. If you missed any part of today's episode, be sure to search KCSU News on Spotify or download the KCSU app and go to Tuesday to find our show. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is National News for February 1st. Over 100,000 people in the U.S. died from diabetes last year, making 2021 the second year in a row the deaths had reached the number. According to Chad Terhun and Robin Raspot at Reuters, the country is attempting to address the diabetes epidemic in a variety of ways, including efforts to prevent diabetes rather than focusing on treatment alone. Some recommended policy changes in preventing new cases of diabetes include requiring paid maternal leave, creating tax on drinks with a certain sugar level, and expanding affordable housing programs in the country. Diabetes remains in the top 10 causes of death in the U.S., 
primarily due to Americans experiencing issues with insulin and other medical treatment access, which worsened during the pandemic. The pandemic also increased risk behaviors for diabetes, such as low physical activity. These new policy recommendations focus on preventing type 2 diabetes, which is the most common type of diabetes in the U.S. One in three Americans are expected to have diabetes if the current rise in cases continues. While many diabetic people, along with healthcare activists, address rising insulin prices and rationing as a common cause for diabetes deaths, the U.S. government and researchers dedicated to reducing cases are focusing on preventing the disease altogether as a method of preventing new deaths. The following story discusses the trial of two white men who killed a black man in a racist attack. KCSU encourages informed listening and safe driving, so if listening to this story may impair your ability to make decisions on the road, we encourage you to listen to this portion of our episode later on and turn down your volume for now. The story is only about one minute in length. Two men who killed Armand Arbery were denied a plea deal, which would have placed them in a state prison instead of a federal prison, after Arbery's parents spoke against the deal Monday. According to Peter Granitz and Jonathan Franklin at National Public Radio, Arbery's mother, Wanda Cooper Jones, said the plea deal was disrespectful as her son was not offered anything similar when he was killed. Cooper Jones said, quote, They killed my son because he's a black man. I'm asking on behalf of his family, on behalf of his memory, and on the behalf of fairness that you do not grant this plea, end quote. Arbery was killed two years ago when he was just 25 while on a run in a Georgia neighborhood. Three men were convicted of his murder, including Travis McMichael, Gregory McMichael, and William Bryan. All of the murderers were sentenced to life in prison in state courts, with the Federal Justice Department looking to begin a separate trial February 7th. National Archives staff say that some documents given to the Congressional Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection were ripped up by the former administration, with staff having to repair them. According to Ryan Nobles, Zachary Cohen, and Annie Greyer at CNN, the agency said former President Donald Trump tore up presidential records. The statement said, quote, These were turned over to the National Archives at the end of the Trump administration, along with a number of torn up records that had not been reconstructed by the White House, end quote. Previously in 2018, Politico reported that staff were employed by the White House that year to repair destroyed documents believed to have crossed the former president's desk. Despite a Supreme Court case in which Trump attempted to prevent the committee from accessing presidential records, the January 6th committee received records in the past few weeks. Some documents include phone call logs, drafts of speeches, and handwritten notes. After a bridge in Pittsburgh collapsed last week, injuring at least four as a city bus fell into a ravine, documents from the bridge's September inspection done by the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation said the bridge's deterioration was not severe enough to require closure at that time. According to Gene Puskar and Mark Scoforo at the Associated Press, the full inspection report was not released to the public yet as the investigation continues due to state and federal laws. The bridge required a wait limit sign to be posted in 2014, and PennDOT spokesperson Alexis Campbell said the report showed that the deterioration by September 2021 did not warrant closure, even as the bridge was 50 years old. So far, it is unclear what caused the bridge to collapse, even with the knowledge of the deterioration. Five similar bridges exist in the state, and the investigation will likely impact whether or not these bridges remain open. No deaths occurred due to the bridge's collapse, and only one person remained in the hospital Monday. That's all for national news, and now we're going to be hearing from Anton Schindler about a recent decision regarding the MLB Hall of Fame induction. For this week, we'll push off the National League East episode until next week, 
as some exciting and pretty important news has surfaced in the baseball community. So be sure to tune in next week to see the best players of all time from the Atlanta Braves, the Miami Marlins, the New York Mets, the Philadelphia Phillies, and the Washington Nationals. Now with that out of the way, let's hop into the news. Earlier this week, Major League Baseball and its writers gathered once again to make a decision on who will make the Hall of Fame in 2022 and who will miss out or be forced to wait another year. Now, if you remember the controversy, you can understand why so many baseball fans were eagerly waiting for this announcement. You see, last year, there was tons of controversy that surfaced in terms of the MLB Writers Association when they collectively decided that no one would be inducted in 2021, something that hasn't happened since 2013. The main reason behind all of that was the controversy that some of the frontrunners, like Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, and Roger Clemens, that was putting a lot of pressure on the writers to make the writers decide if they were willing to look past the obvious cheating and drug use, but see these players for the impact that they had on the sport and the records that they kept. Instead, the writers decided not to vote anyone in. So you can understand why fans were extremely interested in what was going to happen this year. I mean, after all, it was the last year of eligibility for Barry Bonds, and Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa, and Curt Schilling as well. I mean, since they were all in their 10th year, it really came down to Hall of Fame or bust for these players. And, as you could have probably guessed or might have seen, none of the names of the ballplayers that I just listed made it in. Actually, none of them even received enough votes to make it that close. You see, Bonds finished with 260 votes, which is good for about 66% of the vote. Clemens had 257 votes, worth 65.2% of the vote. Kurt Schilling saw a massive decrease in the last couple of months, as he only received 231 votes, 58.6% of the vote, as Sosa dropped way down in the vote, only collecting 73 votes or 18.5%. Now, as I'm sure you've seen, ever since this news was released, fans very passionately (laughs) expressed their opinions on the situation. And reading through some of it, you begin to understand why many of these fans have started to turn against the MLB Writers Association and the Hall of Fame, really just in general. You see, Barry Bonds is still, although arguably with the aid of performance-enhancing substances, the all-time home run leader. After all, Barry Bonds hit 762 home runs, seven more than Hammer and Hank Aaron. Bonds also won the MVP award three times, along with six silver sluggers before he first reported positive doping tests. Roger Clemens still holds the all-time record for Cy Young Award wins with seven, which is two more Cy Young Awards than the big unit, Hall of Famer Randy Johnson. Clemens earned four of those seven Cy Young Awards, by the way, 
and an MVP award before he tested positive for steroids in 1998. But unfortunately, the fact of the matter is, their careers were kind of tarnished due to the decisions that they made with these performance-enhancing drugs. So I felt that the writers, I mean, rather unsurprisingly, decided that they couldn't really look past that. I mean, even if they are the all-time leaders, what they did was wrong. And that's kind of where this other side of the argument starts to kind of make sense. I mean, yes, the MLB Hall of Fame is there to preserve history and preserve the memories of the greatest baseball players to ever do it. But I think where the writers and the Hall of Fame officials are at with all of this is trying to decide if it's even worth preserving this history that kind of has a bit of a dark side to it. I mean, as you can imagine, they don't want to be the ones that are held responsible for letting these players that cheated into the Hall of Fame that specifically commemorates those that got into the Hall without the use of performance-enhancing drugs or cheating. And to be honest with you, that's why I wasn't really that surprised when I heard the news that these guys that I mentioned before didn't make it in, and that their eligibility is all dried up. But this all kind of leads to the somewhat controversial vote that did end up with a player in the Hall of Fame in 2022. You see... David Ortiz, in his first year on the ballot, received 307 votes, which is 77.9%, which was enough to get him past that 75% threshold to get him into the Hall of Fame. On paper, it's pretty easy to understand why Ortiz was selected to have his name forever placed in Cooperstown. I mean, he joined the 500 home run club towards the end of his 20-year career, and collected 2,472 hits while reaching his career 286 batting average. Big Poppy had a World Series MVP honor along with an ALCS MVP honor as he earned three World Series rings to put on his shelf. He was a 10-time All-Star and a Home Run Derby champion, which fit with the seven silver sluggers he collected throughout his career. But many people think that Ortiz getting in on his first year of eligibility seemed a little strange. I mean, you see, unlike Bonds or Schilling, Ortiz doesn't own any all-time records. But what he did do was become one of the most consistent designated hitters of all time. I mean, he had plenty of years where he was in the top 10 at the very least, as far as total bases, RBIs, extra base hits, home runs, and so on and so forth. And that's where I really think that the Writers Association got this one right. I mean, I believe that the Writers Association knew that they couldn't just not induct someone two years in a row. And I think that they decided that Ortiz was probably the best option to really just keep everyone happy. But many people believe that there's sort of a weird bias going on even then because David Ortiz was not innocent when it came to the topic of steroid use. You see, in 2009, Major League Baseball confirmed the names of 100 players who, well, back in 2003, tested positive for steroid use. 
This was the exact same report that revealed Alex Rodriguez and Manny Ramirez had both tested positive for steroids. And, as a matter of fact, Ortiz was one of those 100 players that failed a drug test. Now, nothing really came from this as Ortiz fully denied the allegations, saying that these tests might have been tipped off due to various over-the-counter drugs that he was taking at the time, and that there was some regional bias based on the amount of Yankees players who had also failed their drug tests. But regardless, Ortiz continued to play really good baseball, and as a result, he's the one and only inductee into the Hall of Fame in 2022. So, let's look ahead, shall we, into the future of the Hall of Fame vote. I think it's possible that the MLB Hall of Fame will go back to a more traditional, should I say, structure once again when it comes to voting, as many of the controversial figures that we've talked about for the past 10 years or so are now off of the ballot in 2023 due to eligibility. So, let's look at a couple guys who gained quite a bit of ground in 2022. The first has to be the Evansville, Indiana product, Scott Rollin, who played in the major leagues for 17 seasons, raking in a Rookie of the Year award, seven all-star appearances, and eight gold gloves over at third base with the Phillies, Cardinals, and Reds, and Blue Jays. In the 2021 Hall of Fame vote, Rollin received 249 votes, which is 63.2% just 12% away from the magical 75% threshold, so pretty good there for Rollin. Right after him was the Colorado Rockies all-time first baseman Todd Helton, who also played 17 years in the majors, collecting 2,519 hits, 369 home runs, and a career 316 batting average, which is pretty crazy by itself. Not to mention his four silver sluggers, three gold gloves, and a batting title, and five all-star game appearances. Helton received 205 votes, good for 52%, as he continues to claw his way up the rankings with six years left in his eligibility, collecting around 10-15% to more votes every year up to this point. Billy Wagner is probably the next closest, as he collected 51% of the votes, in the 201 votes that he received, followed by Andrew Jones, who collected 41.1% of the votes, 163 people in total. Up to this point, many analysts believe that these four that I've just mentioned will more than likely kind of clump together and either make up a ton of ground in the Hall of Fame voting or even just get elected and enshrined with the 341 others in Cooperstown. But before we get to some of the new players who will show up on the 2023 Hall of Fame ballot, I want to talk about a couple of surprising names that weren't able to make that 5% of votes cut in 2022. All 11 of these names will be chopped off all future ballots, including Tim Lincecum, Ryan Howard, Mark Teixeira, Justin Morneau, Prince Fielder, AJ Pruszynski, Carl Crawford, and Jake Peavy. Now, if you've been around baseball for a while, you know that many of these players that I just listed sort of defined their own era in baseball, back in the 2000s up to 2015 or so. 
I mean, Tim Lincecum was a bit of a phenom in his day, winning two Cy Young Awards and three World Series rings in that insane stretch that he had with the San Francisco Giants. Prince Fielder collected 319 home runs and 1,028 RBIs in his 12 years in the league and became one of the game's few Ironmans as he played all 162 games of the season four times in his career. Ryan Howard collected Rookie of the Year honors, the Player of the Year award, and an MVP award in his first two years in Major League Baseball. (laughs) And to be honest with you, all of these players really did incredible stuff throughout their entire career. As it sort of shows you just how difficult it really is to get into the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's the same reason why it's just such an honor that these players even make it onto the ballot in the first place. So, who's going to reach this honor in 2023? Well, as a matter of fact, 26 players are projected to make the ballot to kick off the first year of their eligibility. Now, I know that that's a lot of names, and a lot of really good stories, but I'll try to just headline a few of these guys that will make the biggest splash on the ballot. First off, Carlos Beltran. Now, Beltran definitely has what it takes to make the Hall of Fame. In his 20 years in the league, he collected 2,725 hits and 435 home runs as he collected a career 279 batting average with seven different ball clubs. Francisco Rodriguez, the near-unhittable closer out of Venezuela, will more than likely be on the ballot as well with his 437 saves, which, by the way, is fourth all-time, and a career 286 ERA. And actually, while we're on the topic of closers, what about Houston Street, who collected 324 saves in his 13 years in the majors, finishing with a 295 career ERA? Other big names that come up include John Lackey, Jared Weaver, Jacoby Ellsbury, Andre Ethier, Ubaldo Jimenez, and Mike Napoli as well. So, as we draw closer to the finalization of this ballot, I'll be sure to make another set of predictions on who will make the cut and who will have to wait possibly another year or two in the 2023 Hall of Fame announcement. But I want to end this episode off by, I guess in a way, kind of dating myself, because As I was reading through these names of players and talking about these guys who are in the running for or are currently being voted on on the ballot, it really started to make me feel old. (laughs) I mean, many of these players are guys that I remember watching, guys that I remember seeing take the field and realizing how good they were all the way back then. And it's funny to hear some of these names again after they've sort of been forgotten about up to this point thanks to newer talent and big names that are still playing the game today. And it's interesting to reminisce on these players and fall back into that era of baseball once again. That was Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler, a podcast here at KCSU. If you'd like to listen again, you can check that out at kcsufm.com slash podcasts. We'll be right back with sports updates here on the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. You're listening to KCSU Fort Collins at 90.5 FM. Tune in to... 
What's up, guys? It's Hannah Conda. Listen to my show 1 3 p.m. on Tuesdays. My name is Eliza Drotar. This is your RMR Sports Report. In women's basketball, the team started their season 14-5, winning against Fresno State 78-67, and winning their next game at home against Nevada 66-77. Their next game is against New Mexico. In men's basketball, the team is going 16-3, beating Nevada 66-77, then a loss to UNLV, 88-74, to and a loss to Wyoming on Monday of 78-84. In track and field, the men's and women's team competed in the Colorado Invitational in Boulder, and the Rams came home with many podium finishers. Congrats to Tom Williams, Billy Carr, Liam Mathers, Cameron Ross, Lauren Gale, Jalen Jasper, Jazaria Davis, Tom Oates, and the men's 4x400-meter relay team on their podium finishes. If you are interested in student tickets, go to csuram.evenue.net to get tickets for basketball, softball, and every other sport that we have on campus. My name's Eliza Drotar. This has been your RMR Sports Report. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is Tech News for Tuesday. After Neil Young and Joni Mitchell removed their music from Spotify in protest of the platform promoting the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, Spotify will now add a COVID-19 content advisory to all podcasts discussing COVID-19. According to Joe Hernandez at National Public Radio, the musicians pulled their music after Rogan made false claims regarding COVID-19 on his podcast. Several podcasters, musicians, and public figures such as Prince Harry and Meghan Markle showed support for the artist by either pulling their content, refusing to release new content, or expressing concerns about Rogan's content. As a result of this, Spotify responded Sunday with a statement from CEO Daniel Ek, which said that they chose to keep Rogan's content up to avoid censorship, but Ek said, quote, Based on the feedback over the last several weeks, it's become clear to me that we have an obligation to do more to provide balance and access to widely accepted information from the medical and scientific communities guiding us through this unprecedented time, end quote. The new content warning directs users to a COVID-19 information page within the platform with the most up-to-date information on the virus. Discord is preparing to roll out a feature that allows PlayStation users to link their PlayStation Network accounts to the chat service. According to Mitchell Clark from The Verge, the current version of this integration service is limited and still in its early stages. Linking Discord and PlayStation Network accounts allows users' friends to see what game that user is playing. U.S. Discord users could be able to link the two services in a week, while users in other countries can expect it in the next two weeks. Discord users can link the feature once it is available on their device by going to User Settings in the app, then clicking Connections, 
and clicking the Add button. Hackers are targeting an Albuquerque school by blocking students and staff members out of student databases, attendance records, and the grading system. According to Cedar Atanasio of the Associated Press, the database includes records of emergency contacts for students, meaning that educators have no access to phone numbers in the case of an emergency. As a result, Cleveland Middle School cancels classes for two days. Schools are typically not required to report cyber attacks or issues with ransomware, which makes it hard to trace the exact number of similar incidents in the past few years. That's all for Tech News. I'm Coda Babcock, and now for the weather. Today was cold and snowy with a high of 29 degrees and a low of 14 degrees, with most snow coming in tonight after 7 p.m. Wednesday, you can expect temperatures to drop down to a high of 16 and a low of negative 5, with more snow. Thursday, snow will stop, and you can expect a high of 19 with a low of 0 and partly cloudy skies. And for Friday, you'll have to check us out this Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the next episode of the Rocky Mountain Review, only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Information comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Portia Cook, Thomas Taylor, David Demuth, Stevie Jones, Hannah Copeland, Bryn McCall, Jack Balsley, Blendon Shell, Hannah Hitchcock, Elliot Hutchinson, Eric Zhang, Brennan Cole, Bridget Bandell, Eliza Droder, Dylan King, Michelle Ellis, Ben Haney, Ben Kruger, Anna Schwabi, Marie Tanksley, Peter Walk, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Allie. And we finally couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. <laughs>